Now may our hearts and minds be fixed upon the infallible Word of God. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. May the Spirit give us ears to hear what He says to the church. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused if it be received thanksgiving. For it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. If thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine, whereunto thou hast attained. But refuse profane and old wives' fables, and exercise thyself rather unto godliness. For bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is, and of that which is to come. Amen. May the Lord bless this precious word to our hearts this evening. The Apostle Paul tells his beloved son in the faith, Timothy, that the last days will involve very dangerous times spiritually. He foretells of a most dreadful apostasy. Some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Let me immediately make a footnote. Uh, there are times when I encounter people who say, well, you know, we had a Jehovah's Witness come to our house, and they explained what they believe, or the, some Mormons came by our house, and and uh, explain what they believe. How can anybody believe that? Or perhaps you've heard uh, things that other particular groups believe. And, and I've heard people say in bewilderment, how can people believe that? Paul tells us here, seducing spirits. Brethren, behind false doctrine are wicked spirits that deceive the minds and hearts of men and women. Satan did it in the garden, you shall not surely die. And his minions are well trained in it. So, Paul tells us that in the, those last days, there will be seducing spirits, doctrines of devils, and tragically, some who have been among us and have professed faith in Christ will go out from among us, seduced and deceived. Now, these lying hypocrites, because they will ultimately become false teachers and deluders of others, are possessed of seared consciences. They no longer respond to anything of the Spirit, and they are wholly given over to their deception and their wickedness. And they teach God's people that many good things, such as marriage and certain foods, are to be forbidden. Now, after a brief discourse on the, the Christian's liberty, Paul tells Timothy that these forbidden things are not to be refused, but rather to be received with a thankful heart and the, and the sanctifying power of the Word of God and prayer. Paul then exhorts Timothy to put God's children in mind of these things. Teach them. Bring it to their uh, remembrance. And that will show that he is a faithful minister of God's flock. He's to warn and to instruct God's children in these things. Paul then makes a remarkable statement. But refuse profane and old wives' fables, and exercise thyself rather unto godliness. Now he first admonishes Timothy to have nothing to do with godless worldly, all-wives, fables, myths, fictions. Now this is his description of the false teaching and the prohibitions 
of the apostates. See, these people are going to be seduced by wicked spirits. They're going to believe false doctrines and they teach them then to the Lord's people. And Paul says, don't give any heed to these profane, ungodly things that are no better than old wives' tales, than the kinds of things that gossipy old women trade back and forth. I mean, he utterly demeans these false doctrines. Now, I want to draw your attention to the words that follow. Exercise thyself rather unto godliness. That's the title of our message this evening. Exercise thyself unto godliness. Now, the apostle is driving home to Timothy that nourishment and strengthening of the inner man is vital Christianity. Especially in the face of those who promote external practices as evidences of holiness. <clears throat> this is what's going on here. He's saying now these false these, these false brethren, these apostates that fall away from the church and then begin to teach God's people that it's more holy not to get married. And it's more holy not to eat these foods. He says, that's like profane, godless, old, absurd wives' tales in comparison to vital living spiritually that grows in Christians by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, we want to make sure that we don't misunderstand Paul. He's not saying that there should never be external evidences that we are believers in Christ. There are those today who rightly focus on the fact that the Scriptures deal first with the heart. But then they stop and they say, well, external stuff is just the realm of legalism. So as long as your heart's right, then the way you live doesn't really matter that much. This is not what Paul is saying. He's talking about the myths, the lies that are conjured up by the apostates. He's not talking about vital godly living according to the commands of God. And he's saying to Timothy, you need to exercise yourself Unto godliness. Now we live in a day that's very body conscious. And uh, you can't walk into a store, any kind of a department store, you can't, you can't pick up a magazine, a newspaper, without somebody's, you know, body draped over something. And, and you know, the, as, as if the, the only way to be happy was to have a six-pack abs stomach, you know, or, or, or whatever. But, but we live with people who constantly give themselves virtually the worship of the body. Now, there's nothing wrong with keeping your body in shape, and you ought to do that in a proper way. Paul's going to give some credence to uh, physical health. But his point is that what Timothy ought to be doing is giving himself to the workout of the soul. Godliness isn't something that you start on on the outside. It is something that starts on the inside and must be nurtured. The word exercise means to exercise, to work out vigorously, either in mind or or body. It's the, the same word that we get our uh, English word gymnasium from. And the idea is a vigorous workout. You see these people getting into aerobic exercises or those that really want to get their bodies into shape. Boy, they work and they work and they work and they sweat. No pain, no gain is the motto. And you've got to work at it and work at it. Those muscles being toned don't just happen in a couple of days, in a week or two. It takes hard, vigorous, rigorous discipline. 
that's the key to what Paul is saying to Timothy. In other words, Timothy, you need to work out, you need hot, sweaty, rigorous work of the soul. Exercise yourself unto godliness. That's the kind of workout we all need. If I were to say it another way, Paul is telling Timothy to discipline himself in Christ-likeness. Discipline himself in Christ-likeness. When people are working out their bodies, they always have an image in view. They don't go in there and say, well, I'm going to lift all this stuff and I'm going to pant and I'm going to sweat. I'm going to work myself nearly to death and I just hope something happens. That isn't the way they think. It's like, no, I want my calves to look like this or I want my biceps or I want my muscles or my stomach muscles to look like that. I mean, they've, and they're generally looking at magazines or pictures and going, okay, this is what I want. There's an image. And then they try to discipline themselves according to the image. Brethren, Paul is telling Timothy, we're to be like someone. We're to be godly. We're to be like Christ. And we need a workout to make ourselves that way. Timothy, you need a vigorous discipline to be Christ-like, godly. Now, as we have gathered here again tonight in the Divine Physician's office, we present ourselves for his searching diagnosis. We continue in our series of messages about diagnosing our spiritual health. Now, we want to know from Jesus Christ how we're faring spiritually. You and I are not the standard. We're not being made in one another's image. Paul has told Timothy to exercise to be godly, godliness, like our God. Specifically, like the Lord Jesus. He's the image that we want to be like. Now, we want to ask Him by the power of His great assistant, the Holy Spirit, to examine our hearts, to take our spiritual pulse, as it were, to test us for the symptoms of deadly diseases that may have infected us. Diseases of the soul, such as sloth, drifting, hardening of the conscience, backsliding, and uh, numerous other spiritual disorders. He's the one that can come by His Word and diagnose our hearts. So, we begin the diagnosis this evening after hearing Paul's powerful exhortation to Timothy by asking ourselves this question. Are you growing? in the exercise of spiritual disciplines. Are you growing in the exercise of spiritual disciplines? Notice, not in the knowledge of spiritual disciplines, but the exercise of such. That being our subject, we want to open this particular subject under these four things. First of all, what are spiritual disciplines? What are we talking about when we say that? Number two, why should one exercise spiritual disciplines? Some people say, I'm saved, I'm saved by grace, right? Uh, sounds to me like you're piling up some legalistic stuff here that I've got to do. But we want to answer that question. Number three, what are the dangers of exercising spiritual disciplines? Are there any dangers? 
Finally, how should we exercise spiritual disciplines? Well, then let's let's consider what are spiritual disciplines first. <clears throat> when we speak of spiritual disciplines, we mean the God-ordained biblical means by which we experience God's saving grace, our union and communion with Him, and growth in Christ-likeness. And when I say saving grace, I'm not talking about how we become Christians. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the fact that God's grace is not something that we just got once. And then that's it. Well, we became Christians and that's all it is. I'm just sitting around waiting to go to heaven. God's saving grace is that glorious grace given to us. Yes, of course. When He opened our eyes and brought us to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But He sustains us by that grace. He sustains us by that grace day in and day out. But there are certain things that He has given us to do in the exercise of spiritual disciplines where we come to meet with our God. While it is true that today there perhaps is some abuse in the language that we hear that, well, you know, Christianity is not a religion, it's just a relationship. Well, there's no... If I understand the Scriptures correctly, there's no such thing as just a relationship with God. Brethren, our salvation is His glorious, saving power exercised in our lives, where we, by the regenerating power of the Spirit, are brought into union with our God. And that's not just something we talk about. It's something that we live and experience. And God has given us ways by which we know Him. By which we meet Him in the grace that He gives us. And if we do not use those disciplines, we miss glorious and precious blessings of our God. Now I'll tell you, there are some folks that hate that kind of language. And I'm sorry to disappoint them to think that way. They, they say because everything is of grace, the minute you talk about maybe not experiencing a blessing, it's just not going to happen. If God intends for you to have it, you're just going to have it, and that's just the way it is. But brethren, I, I just cannot find the Scriptures reading that way. We're not talking about how we become Christians. We're not talking about that. We're talking about how we live as Christians. And how we interact with the God who hath saved us. And He has given us means by which we might enjoy this glorious fellowship with Him. And if you do not seek Him in these ways, you will not know Him as He calls you to Himself. You will not know Him as you ought. I illustrate by saying, is it not an absurd thought that a man would pursue a woman and say, Oh, I love you. You move my heart and my mind and all of my senses. The, the, the thought of you, the, the sight of you, the sound of your voice. I want you to marry me. I want you to be my bride. I want you to live with me. I want you to grow old with me. Be one with me all of my days. She says, yes. They go to the altar. They say, I do. And then, for the next 30 years, he never says anything. Would that not be absurd? Well, look, I mean, I said I do back then. What else do you want? I showed you I loved you back then. I mean, just how insecure are you? I mean, how much, you know, Do I have to repeat this all the time? Of course that would be absurd. Unfortunately, that's probably too close to home for some men. They, they do kind of act that way. But if that love is still burning in your heart and in your mind, you want communion with that bride. You still want to hear her voice. 
when you're apart. There's an agony. You hate that separation. You want to be with them. There's something about hearing their voice, seeing their picture. Now that picture, that doesn't give you a voice. There isn't a nice, warm hand to hold. But you know, when they're not there, oh, it's a, it's a precious reminder of that one that you love. Isn't that the case? And so, there are varying degrees of ways by which we may experience and know our union and our communion with God that He has given us. And many of us don't even sit and hold a picture. We just say, yeah, you can say, I believe. And then that's it. We kind of think we're going to coast on to heaven. Brethren, that is not Christianity. We have been called into a relationship, into a holy union. We are married to Christ. He loves us. And there ought to be something about us that responds to His love. Well, how do we do that? That's the whole issue of spiritual disciplines. These are the things that God has given us so that we might enjoy the One who loves us and gave Himself for us. The disciplines are the God-ordained and biblical means by which we experience our union and growth, our union with our God and growth in Christ-likeness. God reveals in His Word means by which we may know Him. Is that not how Christ describes salvation? Here is life eternal, that they might know thee. Not just know about thee, but that they might know thee. That word in Scripture used for intimate union and communion. That they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. Are you growing in your exercise of spiritual disciplines? That says something about our spiritual health. Now, there are disciplines that may be practiced personally, and there are disciplines that may be practiced corporately. These disciplines have been granted as love gifts to us by our God so that we might be transformed and made like Him. Disciplines that are practiced personally. And this is not an exhaustive list, but these are just some of the things that we find in Scripture. I'm not here to say that there, um, that I'm absolutely convinced that there are 15 personal ones and 25 corporate ones. But I can tell you the ones that I do see and do know and do understand and practice and continue to scour the Word of God looking for those places where we might draw away with Him. Arise, my love, and come away. As we find in the Song of Solomon. Well, the first one, of course, is reading and meditating in the Word of God. You say, Brother, you say that of just about everything. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Brethren, here, H-E-R-E, God meets with us. He's given us His Word. It's not a magic book. It is the recorded revelation of Almighty God, where He comes seeking His beloved. Brethren, do you know that we serve a seeking God? You're a Christian, not because you were smart enough to figure out where God was. You're a Christian because the God of heaven and earth, in His love and His infinite mercy, came seeking you. Amen. The Lord Jesus said, I have come to seek and to save that which is lost. Christ came pursuing His bride. 
I mean, a man will do anything when he wants a woman. When his heart is wrapped up and bound up and, and quite sure that he can't go on in life except that he be married to her, he'll do some of the most ridiculous things you can imagine. I was told recently by a man who met his wife in a particular school and, and right after that he went to another educational institution for several years to finish his education and, and was about eight hours away from her. And every weekend would drive back to see her. Every weekend. He wanted to see her. He wanted to commune with her. Are we like that with the one who loves our souls? Or do we let things get in the way so that we don't have any time for that communion and that union? Oh, how precious it is, friends. Just, just recently, our schedule had been so very intense. It had been a while since I'd been able to get up early and just sit before the Lord. Just sit before the Lord. His word before me. Wasn't wasn't in the, the press of preparing my messages, which I, I love, not complaining. I wasn't in the press of the clock saying you've got to be here at this time. The phone, it was early enough that the phone wasn't ringing. And I just sat before the Lord with His word before me. Brethren, it was uh, it was holy. It was delicious. What kind of words can you... Just to sit before my God and to have His... The Word, the text of His Word, search my heart and sit before Him. Do you do that with your God? Now you may sit, you may kneel, you may sprawl out on the floor. I mean, there have been times when people couldn't get in my office because I was spread out on the floor and they couldn't open the, the door. The posture isn't, isn't so much the issue. Do you commune with your God? It is a discipline that God has granted you so that you might know Him. Get before Him and open His Word and meditate. Lord, what are you saying to me? Open up his psalms and hear the sound of a heart opened wide. Open up the Proverbs and drink deeply of the wisdom of your God. And say, Lord, burn this into my heart. I hear what you're saying to my soul. Now teach me. How do you mean this? How do I apply this? How does this work in my marriage? How does this work with the brethren I'm working with? Do you talk to God? He's speaking in His Word. This is a discipline. It is a discipline. You and I know good and well there are times when we'd rather get a few more hours of shut-eye. And I'm not saying, you know, completely destroy your health in order to be spiritual. This is not what I'm getting at. But there are some times when we could maybe set the alarm just a little bit earlier on those days when we know we're going to be so busy that there's not going to be any time throughout the day for the Lord in the, in that just in that quiet, precious sitting and meditating in His Word. Take a psalm and pray through every verse of it. Just take a psalm and Read it, pray about it, and pray over every word and every verse in it. Have you ever done that? Take one of one of the books. Don't get bogged down. Take a shorter one. Take First John, and at one sitting, just read all five chapters. It doesn't take that long. And say, Lord, speak to me. Speak, your servant heareth. Say into my soul, I am your God. I am your salvation. Say into my soul, Lord, that I'm your child. Go 
Colossians chapter 3 verse 16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, richly in all wisdom. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. That is a blessed discipline. Psalm 119, verse 11. Thy word have I hid in mine heart, that I might not sin against thee. Now this is not a, uh, a mechanical formula. If I memorize a few verses, I'll never sin. It's not what's being said. But what it's saying is, feeding the soul and shoring it up with God's truth, and imprinting it there by memory, so that it comes up when I'm faced with the challenges and with the seductions of the day. God's truth. I've hid it in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Jeremiah fifteen sixteen, Thy words were found and I did eat them. I love that. I did eat them and thy word was unto me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. Does this sound like any of us here? It should sound like all of us. Because God's given it to all of us. You say, well, I have a little trouble understanding it. I have a little trouble understanding it. Spurgeon had a little trouble understanding it. All of God's people have difficulties understanding it. That's why you need to go and get before your God and pray. Bunyan was shut up for 11 years in the prison with the Bible a concordance, and Fox's Book of Martyrs. You read his works today, and brethren, they speak over the centuries of the glories of Christ and of a man shut up with his God. He knew his God. Do you know yours? Do you know his voice in the Scriptures? Prayer is another spiritual discipline. Luke 18.1 The Lord Jesus says, or Luke writes about the Lord Jesus, that He spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not faint. Men ought always to pray and not faint. I say to my shame, I know more about fainting than praying. But I want to know more about praying than fainting. Men ought to pray and not collapse. Oh, may God in His mercy strengthen us and fill our hearts so that we might know our God. Talk with Him. Yes, prayer is something that we learn. Paul says in First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17, Pray without ceasing. That means to always be in a spirit of prayer. That doesn't mean that uh, every conscious moment that we're awake, we're uttering some kind of prayer. But what it means is to always be in the spirit of prayer and always about praying. Whenever you do anything, do you seek the Lord regarding it? Oh, I don't have to pray about going out and working on the car. If some of you know you need to. Without me... He can do nothing. Well, I've done that a thousand times. You can't do it without Christ's mercy. Seek His face. Pray without ceasing. I'm not talking about being superstitious. I'm just saying, Lord, I'm, I'm about to engage myself in this or that. And I know that it's a mundane thing around my home. But Lord, would you give me a heart to do it to Thy glory today? Sisters, you can, you can straighten up the house to the glory of the living God. Men, you can push paper around your desk to the glory of the living God. Pray without ceasing. Talk to your God. This is a spiritual discipline. When I listen to other men praying, I don't listen for fancy words or eloquent speech. I listen to the sound of a heart familiar with God. That encourages my own soul 
when I hear a man pray who sounds like this is something he's no stranger to. Some of the greatest reproofs I've ever had in my life have come when I was on my knees with beloved godly mentors who simply opened their mouth in prayer. And after about five or ten minutes, I realized how little I pray and how little I know my God and how I want to grow in knowing Him as that brother does. It was after the Lord prayed that His disciples said, Oh, teach us to pray. They heard something there they didn't hear in their own prayers. Romans chapter 12, verse 12, Paul says, Continuing instant, steadfast in prayer. In Ephesians six eighteen, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Brethren, we ought to be a people that give our hearts and minds to hearing our God in His Word and prayer privately. There are other disciplines. Fasting. And the Lord gives us instructions regarding those things. I won't take the time to explore those tonight. But there are disciplines that are practiced corporately as well. There is congregational worship. This is what we're gathered here gathered for here this evening. John chapter 4 verse 24. God is a spirit and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. In other words, we need to come alive by God's spirit. Worship is a genuine, supernatural endeavor. But it is a discipline. It is something that we come and do by the power of the Holy Ghost. It's not just a mechanical thing that we do. We walk in, we punch our religious time clock, you know, we give our hour, our hour and a half, uh, and then, you know, we're off. That's it. We're gone after that. You know, and then we'll show back up next time, or if it's convenient. No, no, no. As I've said many times, brethren, in heaven, there is a glorious scene taking place. In heaven, the living God, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Alpha and the Omega, the Father and His blessed and precious Holy Son, our risen Lord, is at His right hand interceding for us. All the hosts of heaven surround them and glorify them and magnify them. And the Scriptures tell us that they sing a new song to the Lamb, that they sing to the glory of God, that the cherubim, all of the angels, the glorious heavenly hosts, are crying out day and night, Holy, holy, holy. They're worshiping God. They're praising God. They're magnifying Him. And that's what this is to be interim. This is what we are. We should be gathering together around the Holy One. No, we don't see Him yet, but we see Him with the eye of faith. We see Him drawn with the Scripture pencil. And we fix our minds and our hearts on our great God. And we worship Him. We're supposed to be a little picture and a little taste of heaven. And brethren, when churches grow in their spiritual disciplines to where they really are that, you can't keep people away. Oh, the goats won't come because they'll be bored. They're not spiritually minded and they're not interested in all this, you know, I mean, getting too serious about this Jesus stuff. But God's people come and they feast. And their hearts are filled with the glory of their God. God meets with His people in corporate worship like no other way. You can't get this any other way. There is no substitute for the gathering of His body because there is no other picture of the glories of heaven on this earth. Oh yes, go to Him in your own prayer closet, your own place. Yes, do all of these private disciplines. Yes. But why? To fill your heart and your mind with Him so that when you come together with His people, it is a glorious assembly. Brethren, if all of us come next week, having spent the week seeking our God and seeking Him 
that he would meet with us in glory next week when we gather together as his people and as we come with hearts on fire already lit filled with that glorious fuel of the Holy Ghost and his word what kind of worship service will we have what will our hymns sound like what will our prayers sound like thank you Lord for bringing us here and help Uncle Bill Amen don't you get tired of that kind of thing We want something that's alive. Dr. Lloyd-Jones said he never tested the spiritual temperature of a church by their Sunday morning meetings. Why? Because that's when everybody makes their show. He said, I go to their prayer meetings and I listen to them sing. Isn't that interesting? He said, I go to their prayer meetings and I listen to them sing. He didn't judge by how many people showed up on Sunday morning. He went and saw who came to pray. My house shall be called a house of prayer. And whether the people actually prayed. And did they sing? He wasn't talking about how good their notes were. He was talking about, did they sound like people who'd been saved by grace? Did they sound like people who had been snatched from the jaws of hell? Do they sound like people who know that all of their sins, all of their nastiness, all of their filth has been washed away in the blood of Christ? I mean, is it? I can wash away my sin. I can the blood of Jesus. Okay, next. Or is it, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow. He's not listening to all the, the, the notes. We're not going to get them all right in this life. But brethren, we can have hearts that sound like joy and praise. Amen. People hear it. Brethren, I know of people who have been saved in the singing of the hymns. Singing, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Brethren, if we have hymns that are full of the gospel, we're singing the gospel of the glories of our Christ. I know a man, as I stand here preaching, who was converted by the second verse in a hymn. He stood there weeping. And wept the rest of the service because he couldn't believe what he'd read and heard. Brethren, hymns are not the warm-up act for the main show. Hymns are the outpouring of hearts touched by grace to exalt and honor their God. And we ought to sing like that. We're not here to perform for each other. We're here to magnify the God who saved us. Well, we're to worship in spirit and in truth. It's something that the Holy Ghost does, and it is something that is guided by the Word of God. And only insofar as we have the Spirit and have the truth can we truly worship. Do you worship, friend? I didn't ask you, do you go faithfully to church? And you ought to. But do you worship? There's the hearing of the Word of God. There's corporate prayer. There's the offering of praise. On the day of Pentecost, the Spirit fell and He brought thousands into the glorious body of Christ. And then it says of them later, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, the Word, the truth. They were constantly taught and they walked in the apostles' doctrine. We have it. Fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. Notice, fellowship. The word fellowship is an interesting word in Greek. Koinonia. It means an entering in. To be in the body of Christ means you're not someone who stands on the outside and just kind of looks in the window and says, yeah, that's interesting. Fellowship is an entering in. Well, I'm not a very sociable person. Well, that's all right. Just come in and join yourself to the Lord's people and learn to know them and to love them. And as you serve them, 
you'll find yourself entering in. Praise your God. Glorify your God. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, in fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayers. There's corporate prayer. I've already spoken about that. But there ought to be real prayer. It doesn't have to be some 15-minute thing. Just the heart saying, Oh God, help me today to exalt and glorify You. Amen. Lord, I need help today. Brethren, pray for me. Offering praise. 1 Corinthians 14, Paul says, What is it then? I pray with the Spirit, and I will pray with the understanding also. I will sing with the Spirit, and I will sing with the understanding also. I will sing with understanding. I'm not just going to mumble words, but by the power of the Holy Spirit, I'm going to enter into that glorious union and communion with God, where He, as my Savior, is to be exalted and praised in words that mean something and that are in harmony with His truth, spirit, truth, and it coming out in melody. Hallelujah. Another corporate discipline is family worship. I spent six weeks teaching on that here recently, so I won't go any further into that. But these elements can be found right there in your home and in your living room. To hear the Word of God, to pray, to offer up praise and song to the Lord. You can do that in your house. You can do that every day. If you can only find 15 minutes, you can do it. To the glory of God. These are spiritual disciplines. When we do not pursue them, brethren, we're backing up. There's the Lord's Supper. What a blessed discipline. What a blessed time. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 16. The cup of blessing. You hear that? The cup of blessing. How many times since I've been here and over the years have I seen people say, oh, you know, I'll come to the meal, but something's going on this afternoon, so I won't be here for the Lord's supper. See you later. And I think, man, if I was going to miss anything, that's one thing I wouldn't want to miss. The thing that Christ specifically commanded me to do to remember Him? Amazing! what we let take the place of worship. Well, I have some friends in a while that haven't seen and so we're going to go see them and, you know, we can just always catch the Lord's Supper next time. But then I want to be right there where Christ has called me to come meet Him. You can't get that on tape and get it later. You can even get a tape of the service. But you can't get the worship of the brethren on tape. This will never be repeated. This meeting will be this meeting, and that's it. We're not guaranteed another one. God willing, we'll meet here Wednesday. Some of us might not be here Wednesday. Oh, brethren, what will you let come in the way of worshiping God? Spiritual disciplines. The cup of blessing. What are you saying? It's a greater blessing to go visit with Aunt... I don't know any names here that I... Aunt Susan. Instead of the cup of blessing? The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? Hear the Word of God. The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we being many are one bread and one body. For we are all partakers of that one bread. How will you grow in your union with your brothers and sisters if you don't come to that very thing that Christ gave you to bring you into union together with Him and one another? Fellowship. Fellowship. I've already mentioned it, but 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14 says, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? I'll tell you what gives me joy, brother. When those whose hearts have been opened are 
They're coming here, the gathering for the assembly, the meeting and the worship of God. And a brother or sister comes in and you see the smile on the face come up when that brother comes in or that sister. And they go over and they greet them and they embrace them. Oh, what a wonderful thing that is. But you know, it's amazing. Over the years, I've seen many people that contrast themselves to be Christians. They profess to be the Lord's children, but they'd rather hang out with lost people. That's who their friends are than the Lord's people. They're more comfortable with those who hate the light than those who love it. Something's desperately wrong in that, friends. Examine your heart. Who would you rather be with tonight? I mean, I'm not, I'm not in a hurry to get out of here. Of course, I know some of you are thinking, how much longer is he going to preach? But the point is, this is where I want to be. Not because it's my job, but because I'm with the Lord's people. And I hear them speak of Him. And even when they talk about the things that are taking place day to day in their homes or at their work, it's always encased in the context of we're the Lord's children. Who would you rather be with? Whose company would you rather keep? Is there someone out there that can pray better than those here? Those that walk with you and know you? Who can pray for Brother David like Brother Stephen? Or Brother Clarence? Who can pray for Miss Nellie? Like the brothers and sisters here. We know her. We know her joys and her sorrows. Who do you want to be with? Paul says, don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. There's no fellowship with righteousness and darkness. Oh, we can be friends to lost people for the purpose of showing them the gospel and for showing them the mercies and the grace of Christ. But there's no communion with them. These are disciplines. They are spiritual disciplines. Do you partake in fellowship? Do you partake in prayer? Do you partake in the singing of God's praises? Do you partake in the hearing of the Word of God? Do you seek your God's face in on your own? Oh, brethren, it is vital that we understand that the disciplines are practices. They are things that we do. They are given to us as love gifts from our God where we might meet with Him. If you have no desire to meet with Him, then of course all these things will become boring and mechanical to you. Well, why should one exercise spiritual disciplines? Why should we do that? That's the second thing we want to consider. <laughs> and we'll be done here very soon. Very soon. The primary reason to exercise the spiritual disciplines are to exalt Christ and to become more like Him. This is what this is what Paul Timothy this is what Paul is commanding Timothy to do: exercise, do the workout, to be godly, to be like Christ. How will the lost world know that the gospel really is good news unless they see in you a transformed human being? Not a perfect one, but a changed one. Paul tells Timothy, godliness is profitable unto all things. And this godliness is simply the outworking of the new life given by the Holy Spirit's regenerating power. This itself is the outworking of God's eternal purpose. Hear, brethren, hear the word of God. For whom He did foreknow, He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son. This is what God has purposed before He ever said, let there be light. As a matter of fact, it's exactly why He said, let there be light. And this is exactly why He created this universe and this earth so that God's little children might be grown up and made like Jesus Christ, the holy blueprint, brought into the family of God, brought into that great and grand and glorious family. Oh, we're full of holes. We're all still full of sin. But we've been washed by the blood of the Lamb. 
And He gives us a love for one another because of His great love for us. Brethren, in other words, God's purpose is to make us like Christ. The consummation, of course, will, will be when He returns, but that work begins now. Christ had private practices. Mark 1.35 In the morning, rising up a great day, a great while before day, He went out and departed into a solitary place, and there He prayed. If Christ dwells within us, brethren, there's going to be something about us that draws away, and we'll go find our solitary place, and we'll meet with our God. Because that's what He does. That's what He did, and that's what we'll do. I'm not up here with a big bullwhip going, ah, pray, pray. It's like, don't you want to pray? Isn't there something in your heart that draws you out? Oh, I want to go sit before my God this morning and pour my heart out. I'm so heavy. No one, whom have I in heaven but Thee, O Lord? Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my meditations. Hearken unto the voice of my cry. My King and my God, for unto Thee will I pray. My voice shalt Thou hear in the morning. O Lord, in the morning will I direct my prayer unto Thee and will look up. Isn't there something in you that draws you to that communion with your God? I don't want to shame anybody into prayer. I just want to know, is there something about you that wants to go meet with your God? Practice. Spiritual discipline. Exercise unto godliness. Christ had public practices. He came to Nazareth where he had been brought up as his custom was. He went into the synagogue where God's people met on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. It was Christ's custom to meet with God's people. It'll be the very same custom for us. We'll want to be with God's people. Because He's in us and He likes to be with God's people. If you don't, something's wrong. Matthew 26.30 When they had sung a hymn, they went out into the Mount of Olives. Christ stood there with His disciples. What did it sound like when Jesus Christ lifted up His voice? We don't know. But He did. If He's among us, will we not lift up ours? Well, are there dangers to these uh, spiritual exercises, these spiritual disciplines? Well, sure there are. Number one, they don't work mechanistically. It's not just, well, if I do it, it's like a formula. It just has to happen that I'll meet with God. No. We come as His children. We come as those whom He loves into His presence. And we love Him. And He loves us. He tells us in His Word. We tell Him in our prayers. It's not a mechanistic thing. We're not like Rome that takes people and sprinkles water on them. And because the water goes on them mechanistically, because of the formula, they must be born again. We're not talking about that. See, the Pharisees could fill their minds memorizing Scripture, but they didn't know Christ. They could stand in public and pray long prayers, and the people would think they were holy men, but they hated God. They hated Christ when He stood before them. We can become mechanistic in our thinking, and that somehow or another, if I take these disciplines, and I get five or six of them, and I put them all together, I will be super spiritual. Wrong attitude. They're not tricks. They're hearts of love drawn out to a God that loves them. Secondly, the disciplines are not marks of Christ-likeness. They're means to it. Some of us can say, oh, well, see, I'm going to church and I'm praying a lot and I'm reading my Bible a lot. Look how wonderful and spiritual I am. No. The doing it is not a mark of it. These are means of becoming more Christ-like. When I pray, when I go to God's house and worship with His people, when I hear His Word and I'm transformed, then the life shows it. There is imbalance, yes. Religious busyness is not necessarily spirituality. Let me put it to you this way. What are you like when nobody's around? What do you like when nobody's around? Do When you're around God's people, can you talk religion and act religious, but then when you're away from everyone, you don't pray. You don't read the Bible. You don't sing to the Lord. You don't commune with your God. 
It's just kind of your social activity. Spiritual busyness is not spirituality. Well, finally, the last point. How should we exercise these spiritual disciplines? We should devote ourselves to prayer and pursue Christ-likeness through a faithful use of these disciplines. Learn them. And then act in them because you want to know your God. Say, I'm not very good at that. And get on your face before your God and say, I'm not very good at this. Oh Lord, will you teach me? Would you teach me from your word? Would you speak to me from your word? He won't play games with you. He'll teach you. Say, Lord, I don't know how to pray. I don't pray very well. That's a good start. Lord, just teach me to pray. He will. Teach me to worship. He will. Use the means He's given you. Come with His people. Pray. Home and here. And finally, resist every temptation to spiritual shortcuts. Resist every temptation to spiritual shortcuts. As one man said, there are no quick and easy paths to spiritual maturity. The soul that seeks a deeper level of maturity must be prepared for a long, arduous task. Brethren, it doesn't come overnight. It doesn't come easily. But it comes. Seek your God. Don't stop. Read. Meditate. Pray continuously. Meet with His people. Honor and glorify Him. Let me end with this prayer. Father of Jesus, dawn returns, but without Thy light within, no outward light can profit. Give me the saving lamp of Thy Spirit that I may see Thee. The God of my salvation, the delight of my soul, rejoicing over me in love. I commend my heart to Thy watchful care, for I know its treachery and power. Guard its every portal from the wily enemy. Give me quick discernment of his deadly arts. Help me to recognize his bold disguise as an angel of light and bid him be gone. May my words and works allure others to the highest walks of faith and love. May loiterers be quickened to greater diligence by my example. May worldlings be won to delight in acquaintance with Thee. May the timid and irresolute be warned of coming doom by my zeal for Jesus. Cause me to be a mirror of Thy grace. To show others the joy of Thy service. The joy of Thy service. May my lips be well-tuned cymbals, sounding Thy praise. Let a halo of heavenly mindedness sparkle around me, and a lamp of kindness sunbeam my path. Teach me the happy art of attending to things temporal, with a mind intent on things eternal. Send me forth to have compassion on the ignorant and miserable. Help me to walk as Jesus walked, my only Savior and perfect model. His mind, my inward guest. His meekness, my covering garb. Let my happy place be amongst the poor in spirit. My delight, the gentle ranks of the meek. Let me always esteem others better than myself and find in true humility an heirdom to two worlds. Amen. This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com.
swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780-450-3730, by fax at 780-468-1096, or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, that's E-D-M-O-N-T-O-N, Alberta, abbreviated capital A, capital B, Canada, T6L3T5. You may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle is adopted by the Papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the Papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle, that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important when he says that God had commanded no such thing and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.